0: Uh, a couple minutes for more people to pop in here this would be a great time to do some breaths ground a little bit we'll get going pretty quick but first i gotta hear from you guys who's watching let me know in the chat While we're hanging out at the beginning here, man, I got a lot to say tonight, today, whatever it is. <laughs> I want to share, and I'll share this again probably two more times in the stream, but I want to share this mudra that really encompasses what we're going to be getting into today. I love having a mudra deck that's like an oracle deck, but for mudras, it's amazing. This is the Pradaya daya I don't know Kridaya mudra don't know how you might be supposed to say that but very simple and it would be awesome to maybe practice this at different points while you're listening it's best to do it two or three times a day to really get results I've already done it several times today you can do this mudra anytime any place you could be walking you could be meditating you could be sitting and talking with friends but it's all about it's called the gesture of the heart it's the heart seal. So, it's a pretty easy to do. You might want to warm up your fingers a little bit. Kind of rub your fingers together. Get the blood flowed circulation happening there. And so, do this the same with both hands. You roll your index finger and curl it down into your palm so that the first knuckle is resting on the base of the thumb. And then you take the middle finger and the ring finger and touch them to the tip of the thumb together all together like this extend the pinky so first finger index finger is curled in all the way so that the first knuckle is touching the base of the thumb And then you get the middle and ring finger touching the tip of your thumb making this sort of circle here and then the pinky sticking out so do that with both hands if you're sitting you can rest this in your lap you can hold it up closer to your heart or solar plexus or chest. It's a very powerful mudra that benefits the heart. And you can form this anywhere, anytime. You wanna relax your chest and solar plexus. Try to consciously release any constriction going on there. Breathe naturally and practice the feeling of smiling inward into your heart. It can really relax and open up your chest. Hold it for five minutes, hold it for 45 minutes, whatever you want to do. But doing it a couple of times a day is a good call. So we're going to do a full meditation using that mudra later, and I'll teach it again. But for now, I'm going to cut the music. By the way, that music is Norb's World. 639 hertz or cycles per second. Hertz isn't that good of a word, <laughs> but it's really Awesome. That to me correlates is the solfeggio frequency that correlates with the heart also. So, this whole thing today is going to be really, really about the heart. I pre selected the cards today because I wanted to go in deeper than I can do if I just sort of on the fly draw cards. I might draw some cards on the fly too, but in the past in these videos, I would prepare for an hour or two. Today I prepared all day because I did a deep dive researching the gene keys. Actually, the gene keys is a system we've talked about with like Rachel Munoz on the Munoz, Rachel Munoz. <laughs> for some reason, that word, that last name's hard for me. We've talked about gene keys with her a lot. I've had the book for quite some time and I've perused it. I've read some of them, but the gene keys are a synthesis of all kinds of systems, spiritual traditions, astrology, the I Ching, especially. And I want to deepen my ability to reflect with the I Ching personally. So in the future, I might do this again. I might get the, I might throw the coins for myself, which I did today. I threw the coins and got the hexagram 22, which is grace. And we're going to talk a lot about this, but I felt really good about my intention before throwing the coins to go into the gene keys about whatever I got. It made me feel really good about it when grace is what came up because grace happens to be like a real centerpiece of the whole gene key system. It's like a, a linchpin of everything else. And I had plenty to learn about it. There's 20 pages in this book, this big, big book, 20 pages, just about grace and I'm going to summarize some of that, but there's a lot more for you to learn if you want to dive into it yourself at some point. Now that we've been going for a while, I got to say hi to everybody. What's up, Juan? Hey, buddy, from the One on One podcast. Love you, buddy. Shannon, good to see you here. Jenny B, I bet you're looking good too. <laughs> Spoons, thanks for hanging in. Debbie, Sean, over on the Rockfin side, really cool. If you pop in, let me know. Would love to say hi. So, yeah, um, I dove in. I took a lot of notes on this Gene Key 22 of Grace. But we'll talk about the actual I Ching constituents of Grace as well as we go. We're going to be talking about (laughs) Grace number 22, the majority of this stream today. Hey, Laura Kay, what is up? Good to see you. Um, So where I want to start Again, I want to remind you guys, if you want to hang hang that mudra, hang with that mudra going. We'll keep you from typing, but it's a good one to practice. It might help you a lot. Finger, uh, index finger, fully curled in so that the first knuckle is touching the base of the thumb. Middle finger and ring finger touching the tip of the thumb. Pinky extended. Amazing mudra. It's cool because I drew that first and... Everything I drew today all synergizes together beautifully, as, as it always happens. Um, so let's go ahead and start talking about grace, the 22nd hexagram, before we get into the, the Gene key stuff, which is thick and meaty gravy. <laughs> grace is symbolized with the art in this deck that I use as the blooming lotus coming out of the mud. The elements here are the earth and fire, you could say. It's not really earth in the sense of like the whole earth. It's more like mountain, I should say. It's the big mountain of stillness, the keeping still aspect of ourself, our total, unchangeable, immovable self. Being supported by the inner light of fire, spiritual passion, the clinging. The clinging is what you call the element of fire in the I Ching system. So I'm going to be referencing notes that I took today while I was thinking about all this stuff. But grace, just in the first first barrage of words that you might associate in a word association game, you've got adornment, bringing out the beauty of things, elegance, the outer as a reflection of the inner, but also vanity, charisma, self-expression. So there's a lot there. But let's get into it a little bit. So the mountain over fire, these two elements, why this portrays grace is because it's, the still, it's a stillness in the outer exterior. And grace, like when we think about a graceful athlete or somebody in our life that's graceful, they have, still, they have an external stillness, as in they're not ruffled by things too badly. And that may, <laughs> that could be for a couple of reasons. It could be a shadow that causes that expression. We'll talk about that when we get to the gene keys, a shadow of repression, a shadow of properness, staying proper, even though inside you might be in turmoil, but not showing it. But that external stillness could also be because somebody has learned to transmute and practice transmuting so that maybe they do feel the inner emotional turmoils that all of us are subject to at different times in our life and is purely natural but they choose to accept and allow themselves to feel and thus transform and change what it is they're feeling. <laughs> I could hear something coming through my headphones over here. I realized that my stream was playing back with audio, but I guess you guys couldn't hear that, so that's good. Yeah, so grace is our link between the divine and humankind, and it's really well expressed in the Gene Keys book, what that means and what that's like. It's actually super complicated. <laughs> the notes that I'll be going through will probably be more on the first 10 of the 20 pages in jinkies about that particular eaching hexagram, but there's so much there. It's pretty exciting. Uh what is to go back to this idea of stillness though, you know, like I was saying, athletes maybe you see how smooth they are. Somebody who's really physically strong can make something can live something or move something or do something exceedingly difficult that requires a lot of force and exertion, but without, without getting shaky, you know, that's something that happens to me sometimes. Like my legs need more strengthening. i kind of do more upper body than lower body. I'm a climber. And sometimes when I'm trying to make that last push and my toe is on a tiny little chip on the rock wall and I'm not in a graceful posture, perhaps, my leg starts like shaking as I make that push. And so the, the grace, you may hear it in people's voice, a smooth and strong and commanding voice or kind of a crack and a warble in it. It's amazing how much information, when we start paying attention to the obvious, the very obvious, but maybe, maybe subtle, but also obvious and apparent, can give us a lot of constant information. <laughs> so the feeling of being at home, Within oneself, and thus within the entire world, is the superpower that we can attain that we would call grace. And being at home, being at home within oneself means that we feel our feelings and we don't reject them. We accept them. We're at home with those feelings, the light and the dark. The lotus blooms out of the deep, dark mud, right? It's a dirty, muddy water that creates this beautiful bloom. Hey, what's up, Gabriel? I see slick dissonant in the chat. Beautiful. Good to see you, man. So this feeling of being at home within oneself allows you to feel at home within the world, wherever you're at. And at the higher levels of realization, we'll start to notice that our inner world within oneself is constantly reflected in the outer world. So if you're at home within your inner self, you're always at home within the world. And so this. Corresponds to the idea of redemption or atonement. We're going to get into that later with the gene keys, but atonement, this is a very important word. Religiously, it's been, you could say, sort of twisted, in my opinion, to refer to the need for externalized saviors for an atonement through some kind of blood sacrifice or, you know, the list goes on. There's all kinds of examples of the corruption of this idea of atonement. But when you break down the word, it's at one meant, and meant is mind. So you're within the, you're at one mind. That means that you're recognizing and perceiving the all that is mind, the hermetic principle that all is mind, and you're within that. You're at one with the one mind, meaning that your inner and outer world no longer have this illusory separation. Very important for overcoming this knowledge is very important for overcoming the shadow side of the grace gene key expression. Uh, going into some more things about the grace from just the basic eching perspective, without jumping too far ahead into the gene keys yet, is that I already mentioned that the lotus turns <laughs> it turns the muddy darkness into uh, the blooming, the light of blooming. Right. In fact. This mountain over fire, mountain over fire dynamic here, reflects that in the sense that what is a mountain? It's a big pile of mud. Sean Clark points out atonement, a sound mind. Yes, you got ahead of me. <laughs> That's in my, that is another part of it. Very, very good. Very, very good. It is both. At- atonement is also mint, meaning the tone of your mind, <laughs> if you will. The tone and tone means sound, but tone also could mean strong, right? You get toned whenever you work out or whenever you exercise, exercise those demons, the physical exertion through, you know, especially for the masculine, but it applies to all human beings. One of the ways to work through difficult emotions is to physically work, physically do something, martial arts or anything exerting, athletic can be massively helpful of course to working out the more difficult emotions that can get trapped in our field and in our body and stagnated because when you really exert yourself you're forcing that chi to move and it can cause things to break loose that otherwise wouldn't and you don't necessarily even have to feel them in a hardship way it's almost like you're paying (laughs) paying with your body instead of paying with your emotions by you know making the investment and doing a difficult thing now so that things will feel better later, as opposed to trying to feel good and comfortable now and, and feeling shitty later because you didn't, you know, life is a pendulum like that. That's the beauty of doing the work, whether it's working out or doing the the shadow work to face and integrate and accept our emotions that we all have that are difficult. And uh, (laughs) when we, when we don't do that work, whenever we, are looking for just the pleasures only and getting one dimensional that's where we get into the danger zone of of self-deception really because we are in a world of dualities if you will there is always going to like you cannot have the joy without sorrow you need to experience both or you would have neither so uh one of the things that <laughs> yeah so the mountain is a big pile of mud the fire supporting it is the light that nourishes the light within. So that's the idea of bringing out the beauty that grace has to offer. And it's expressed for us. One of the ways it's expressed is as the urge to create. So it's another way that we can, another way that we can become accepting of our more difficult emotions and feelings within ourselves instead of rejecting them is through the process of creating. Because in my opinion, the further you go with the creative pursuit and path, the more that you have to get real with yourself about who you are and what you're doing and maybe what kind of behaviors you're doing to mask or hide from yourself uh, the challenges that you feel in life or, uh, you know, your desires un- unmet, un- unmanifest the pain of that, or the trauma that you don't want to face any of these possibilities. Only you really know what it means. But when you get into creating, and the reason why this is an expression of grace and the higher aspect of grace, the the real gift of graciousness that we'll talk about from the Gene Keys, is because a certain path, a certain point in the path in your creative journey, you either stagnate and get stuck because you don't have enough time to do things right and to do things better and then make the improvements. Uh, And that would be because you're stuck in a loop somewhere else in your life, or you don't have the mental clarity, the imaginary capacity, the visionary aspect to see within what it is that you want to create in the external, because you're in some way compromised by too much of your mental energy being tied up elsewhere. Like the time aspect of it though, you know, Whenever we do things that are just intentionally trying to distract ourselves, behaviors that are rooted in denial of how we really feel and the uh, inability to face those feelings, well, they literally just take up time. And <laughs> whenever you really throw yourself into a creative pursuit and path, you'll find that you need all the time that you can get to put towards that. Just like a parent, when a parent creates a child, it's the ultimate expression, really, of what I'm talking about, because if they're gonna do it right, They got to give their whole day and night (laughs) They had to give their whole self to that child for at least a long time, you know, and they have to always be ready to give their whole self to that child at any time, even when the child is grown, even when they're an adult, child may not need help for many days or weeks, but then the the day comes where the child needs the parents help again. And are they going to be there or are they going to be spinning their wheels unavailable (laughs) themselves needing the help? So it's a, you know, it's a dynamic that follows us throughout our whole life and is really important to recognize. Now, the transmuting of our shadow, that's really what is required for us to become authentic super creators, right? It is actually a micro fractal of how spirit births light from the void. What I mean by that is like the microcosm of the macrocosm, if you will, because just like this lotus blooms and this light within emerges out from within the dark mud and the waters that light can't penetrate spirit in some way, somehow created something from nothing, right? We have it in the Bible, let there be light For there's a void. And then there's everything. And I'm not saying that the, there's a an origin point in the sense like, I'm not saying that there's a beginning or an end. I kind of think there isn't, but it's a continual process that every moment spirit continues to heed the call that it feels within itself to create this world of light and all the physicality that comes from the denser uh, side of the vibratory spectrum of this light. And maybe at a certain point in our journey, maybe there is an end, maybe there's a refusal at a certain point, to continue with the game of consciousness, to continue with the game of life that we're playing. I mean, just think about that word, refusal. I, if I got to the point where I refused further incarnations, personally, I don't know if I would ever want to do that. Life is pretty fun. I'd rather be doing something than, you know, sleeping in the void. <laughs> personally, maybe that's just where I'm at in my journey. But think about that. Refuse. You're fusing. You're refusing back with what? The original source, which is mysteriously nothingness. And it has to be because really, for there to be something, there has to be the idea of nothing. But that nothing is almost like the fiction versus the reality. Or is it the other way around? I don't know. This is, I'm just kind of stream of consciousness right now for me. But I, I really think that nothingness is like the conceptual. So whenever, if you were able to refuse with the void or with nothingness to end your cycle of incarnations and reincarnations, you become fictional in a sense. You become conceptual, become part and one with just an idea that doesn't have physicality or reality. And the the beauty of life is recognizing that you're always in the process of existing both with both as that void and fused with it. And. Also, as this concrete character in this physical reality with other people. So when we transmute our own personal shadow, when we transmute our own hard feelings and difficult, difficult traumas or difficult emotions, we are re-clarifying and reenacting the original spirit creating <laughs> from nothing, the light that comes out of the darkness. Yeah these artists is perhaps when you're at one, you're at peace. I think that we can maybe achieve that while still having these physical bodies. One of the things I don't necessarily jive with, with the gene keys is some of the elements of like the higher consciousness journey that they talk about and what the other layers of our bodies might be. I don't say I disagree. I just don't know. I just don't know. We'll get to that stuff. Um. So this, this reenactment of the original creation of light coming from shadow is is a, a cyclical thing, right? A part of the the learning through the journey of the grace hexagram is the recognition that beauty fades, eventually. Springtime becomes summer, becomes fall, becomes winter. It is reborn again, and so we have to also continually transmute the tougher feelings that we have. We can't just come. We we don't like. A ch- I don't think that there's a ultimate attainment of perfection and enlightenment that doesn't require continual attention to one's feelings. I think, and that those feelings shift and change constantly and are a myriad of possible expressions. I think the desire to always be in one season, so to speak, is really the transhumanist dream. Actually, the idea that we could just be like perfect workers with no, you know, medicated exactly right so that we don't have any emotional turmoil and so that we can just serve our purpose as given to us by our masters without any shadow expression at all. This is the one-dimensional man. This is the um, robotic, robotic, roboticizing. <laughs> I wanted to say like roboticization. I don't think that works. The roboticizing of of man. Young, Young talked about this the one dimensional man who has lost touch with his shadow completely, and this is the uh, false light, if you will, this is the light that is disconnected from its source because mysteriously the source of light is darkness, and that's where the great mother, the cosmic mother, the womb, you know <clears throat> the void it's what it is, so we don't want to get trapped by our pursuit of beauty into the belief or the uh, the non acceptance of the 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 very real truth that we go through cycles, right? So I want to, because that exacerbates our suffering, really. If we, if we get to the point where we think we can always be in perfect flow and we can just always ignore what's bothering us, I don't know if that's real. I think you can stay in flow while accepting and transmuting your feelings. But if your attempt to stay in perpetual flow uh, is predicated on the rejection of anything that is below a certain threshold of excitement or beauty uh, or good feeling, if you will, I I think you're going to exacerbate your suffering personally. So I'm going to read a short paragraph out of the Tao Oracle, man. I've been (laughs) for a long time. I have so many notes left. I could probably speed this up, but I like this paragraph. It's a short paragraph. This is from the, the book of the Tao Oracle that, I got, that came, comes with these cards that have such awesome artwork. It says, learn simply to greet beauty when it comes, to reflect upon it and become one with it, with no demands or expectations. Contemplate beauty and allow it to infuse your life. You will be beautified by it, and an aesthetic sense will naturally arise in you. Recognizing that beauty is fleeting... Meditate on the transitoriness of all things, which will kindle in you the desire to be aware at every moment and to give life's beauty some form of expression. This moment is an invitation to shine and to give of your best graciously and wholeheartedly. Let your model be mother nature, whose elegance and generosity knows no bounds and whose capacity to beautify is never less than perfect. The beauty of nature is love. So yeah that's a really good uh, I think that the philosophy that recognizes beauty and seeks beauty is far superior to any that does not right but part of what makes beauty beautiful is the transitory nature of it and to be aware of that and meditate on that is quite healthy and helpful and it doesn't make you a goth or an emo kid <laughs> now, if you're like every all things will die everything that is beautiful is an illusion. That's kind of emo. Okay, so there's so much in this Gene Keys book. I'm going to try to just roll through my notes and give you the good summary of 22 in there and not take up all afternoon doing it (laughs) because it's so easy. I think that I like will run out of things to say, but then I spend 25 minutes on, on just one short page of the notes. So... The way the gene keys work, for those unfamiliar, is that each of the I Ching hexagrams is associated with a lot of other stuff, from DNA coding to uh, astrological aspects, planetary things. But especially important are the shadow, the gift, and the city that are assigned to each of the I Ching hexagrams. And to me, this is where the real value of the gene keys is at. Not necessarily. I'm not saying. Don't check it out. But I'm not necessarily like fully on board with some of the cosmological, prophetic aspects of Gene Keys. I can't say it's wrong and I can't say it's right. I just don't endorse it as absolute truth. But take what works and leave the rest, right? And maybe I'll take more than some people or take less than some people. But Gene Keys is worth exploring either way because the shadow gift in the city this trinity within each hexagram really helped to explain and demonstrate the psychological conditions and behavior patterns that each of these aspects of consciousness is able to express because that's really what my best description of the i ching is is that these are 64 configurations of consciousness 64 ways that we can express and experience the life force energy in our world and within ourself. So with the 22. Oh, thank you, JLo. She says, this is great, because we have the nodes in the 23 and 43 axis. And it helps with assimilation and insight for us. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, I know JLo is really deep into the jinkies, she could probably teach us a lot. But the shadow basically comes through uh, with a repressive nature and a sort of a externalized what you would call uh reactive nature and at each one of the hexagrams has both possibilities uh the shadow is then basically the fuel that helps us experience and accept the gift that is within the particular configuration of consciousness and then the the final level you get the city which is like god mode superpower Peaceful Penguin points out the 55th gene key. Actually, yes, the 55th gene key is a programming partner, I believe, is what they call it. With 22 grace, very important part of it. Uh, the the gift of freedom, correlating with the gift of graciousness. And there's a lot there. I won't be getting into that as much. It may come up in my mind as I talk, but I'm really going to focus on a lot about the shadow because that's what most of us experience all the time. And then some about the gift. And I'll touch on the, the city, but it's very out there, initiate, initiated stuff, <laughs> if you will. And I can't speak for the veracity of, of that aspect of it, nor is it simple enough to fit into this particular live stream. So we'll get to what we can. Now, in the Gene Keys, grace is described as the awakening that you experience as a direct intervention of divinity entering your body what that means to you may be different than what it means to me but for me i have had the experience of moments in life where it feels like higher self has stepped in and taken charge and i'm just along for a ride and enjoying all of that Uh, may come through moments of like ecstatic dance it may come through um Moments of feeling deep clarity about your life's purpose in the world, acting on it. And it tends to come through in in life whenever we are able to be considerate of others in equal balance to being aware of ourself and our needs. But you can intentionally invoke higher self into your life, even if it isn't in the full blown experience of almost like, I won't say you're possessed because that's incorrect. If you're possessed in any way through this experience, it is that you possess yourself. It is self ownership, taking ownership for all parts of yourself and res- thus responsibility. But you can intentionally invoke higher self into your life. And there are many reasons why you'd want to do this. In particular, anytime that you want to make sure that your behavior is going to be in alignment with what others. Need and what's best for others and what's best for you simultaneously. Anytime you want to get out of your own way, you and um, put your ego in the back seat—not to get rid of or kill your ego, but to allow your ego to be in alignment with the higher capital W will. Hey, greetings, James, James Maiden, Jimmy Boy, Kaylee. Good to see you. <laughs> you. Guys showed up at a good point. We're just getting into the Gene Key twenty-two. So, like an example of when you might invoke higher self into your life intentionally is in ceremony in healing practices for me. And whenever I'm getting uh, started with a sound healing session for people that I work one-on-one with, or even an oracle reading card session, I, I don't think I, I it ever fails that like the first thing I do is I make the agreement with them, the higher self chance, higher self client are going to be in charge of the process, take over if you will. And then that way I can be at peace with knowing that I can't really do it wrong, that even when I'm in the middle of the process and I'm not exactly sure what I'm experiencing, I'm not, I haven't, it hasn't clicked yet. I haven't made the connections that allow me to consciously see the dynamic energetically going on for the client or for myself. I trust that however I'm waving the forks, if you will, whatever cards I happen to draw, whatever words I happen to say are exactly right timing right moment, exactly what is needed for the intention, the stated intention and the agreement that me and the client made that everything about this process is to serve their greatest good. If that makes sense. So invoking higher self into your life like that, this brings about definitely brings about a type of grace because it allows you to trust and it makes everything a lot smoother because you're not constantly second guessing and doubting yourself because higher self is always present within and without in all, all times and places, but spirit operates on free will. And if your consciousness is localized into your ego and into your physical body, and you're not <laughs> of your own free will, giving up a process to the greater good that you would call your higher self. Well, it's not going to come in and violate that. It's going to allow you to have whatever experiences that you choose for yourself, because that's what you need then. But if you know that you're ready to do things right, so to speak, (laughs) uh, do the right rights, then it's always a good idea to invoke higher self into your life. Um, Another big aspect of this gene key is redemption. Redemption. And when you think about it, it is the theme of all stories in the universe. You don't really get a good story without redemption in the story. If there isn't a redemption, you feel like that was a waste of time, right? And that actually, the redemption redemption theme of the universe has been exploited by controllers as well to create the external redeemer, the external savior, the Messiah complex, to make us believe that we have to redeem everybody else, or make us believe and thus be self sacrificing to a fault, or to make us believe that we need this external Savior to redeem us. When really, the whole process is as simple as invoking divinity directly into your body consciously on purpose. And this brings us back to the idea of atonement at one mind or atone mind. <laughs> mint is mind at one mint. Atonement. That's another word for redemption used in religions all the time. I already really touched on that and talked about that, but invoking higher self or divinity directly into your body is, this is why that's atonement. This is why that is taking charge of the redemption process, if you will. And it is why that it brings about graciousness as it, the, the gift, the experience of being, <laughs> being comfortable in where you're, where you're at and what you're doing, even if it is difficult even if it is uncomfortable being comfortable being comfortable with the discomfort if you will um because you have we have to learn this we have to accept all the range of feelings and emotions that exist within our human experience we have to do that or we will continue to self sabotage and shoot ourselves in the foot and distract and do everything we can to avoid the feelings we don't want to feel and to reject the part those parts of ourselves thereby because at one meant is one mind, meaning that if you take a certain part of life experience, a certain type of feeling, and you say, that's not me, get that away from me, bad, 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 that is bad, you're dividing. And the illusion of division is the source of unnecessary and exacerbated suffering. So now let's get into the shadow here. Gosh, a long way to go. (laughs) The shadow is dishonor. Actually, the shadow of grace is dishonor. Now, why would that be? I think the first thing that is worth considering is that all things that we say and do are recorded in the energy field in the body of universe. Period. In your body, which is a fractal microcosm of the big body, it's also out there in the big body. So what that means is there's no such thing as getting away with it, whatever it is. And when we think about behaviors that dishonor ourselves or bring dishonor to others, much of that stuff, um, you know, because of the the feeling of dishonor, (laughs) we wouldn't want anything that would bring about external dishonor and recognition of dishonor in us to be noticed by the world. So, a lot of our behaviors that are not in alignment with the greater good for ourselves and for the world, and with truth, we have a tendency to want to hide those aspects of ourselves. Trust me, I know. <laughs> I'm a, my moon's in Libra, so I'm like really good at uh, appearing proper on the external, even if I have some kind of emotional turmoil going on within that may be leading me to shoot myself in the foot with sabotaging behaviors. Uh, for me, a lot of it would be escapism type behaviors. We'll talk I'll talk about more of that stuff later. Um Okay, so much of the things that we do that are dishonorable. Yes, Shannon says the shadow aspect of dishonor is still an aspect or part of yourself that needs to be accepted and transmuted. Yes. Or she says no, but I, I'm saying yes. That is true. Um actually much of what we do that would fall under the category of dishonor, we're doing because we're trying to fix or suppress our own suffering. But the truth is the only way out is through. We have to go through the suffering. If we don't go through, then karma is going to boomerang, return it to us again and again with a bigger and bigger smackdown until we honor, which is to accept our feelings, honor our feelings. We get through the shadow of dishonor by honor makes perfect sense. What are we honoring? We're honoring how we really feel. Uh, and this is why this is so important to the heart mudra that I brought up and that we're going to talk about more later. And we get into a meditation at the end of this, a brief one, because what leads us to these behaviors that I'm talking about, these dis- self-dishonoring behaviors, um, <laughs> it, it's all about our wounding, right? this is what I thought about the world wound is wound up around our heart because our heart is where we feel emotions, both good feeling and difficult feeling. And in fact, you know how the heart is kind of like more on the left side. There's actually a uh, place in the human biofield called the world pain spot. And it kind of hovers around the left armpit. Eileen, Dave McKusick, calls it the pit of despair. <laughs> Not that you should like, you know, hate on your left armpit, but to just pay attention to um, the way your field feels around this area and the way that maybe it could all lead up to left shoulder too. It's this whole region. This is where our world wound connects to our personal wounding. We all have it. The wound is literally like a cord that is wound up around your heart. It creates the con- feeling of constriction in the heart and in the solar plexus. That's why this mudra is so helpful because it's all about opening that constriction up. And there's other gene keys that tie into this really heavily for me personally. In my, what they call like the hollow genetic profile, uh, number 25. Um, gene key 25 has a lot to do with this constriction. That's the shadow of gene key 25. Maybe we'll get into that someday. I probably will do more gene keys research every week and present it like this, maybe, if it feels good to do. <laughs> Today it does. So this constriction of our, our heart center and our left armpit area is very much tied to the world wound. And this has to do with karma. And I'm going to talk more about karma later because I think karma is is misunderstood in what it is and what it means for us and who we are. But uh, there's a possibility, and I think that this is true, James, James says, I thought Lewiston, Idaho was the pit of despair. Ha, 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 ha. I don't know anything about Lewiston, Idaho, dude. <laughs> Is it really that bad? Anyway, in the Gene Keys book, it talks about how uh, after death, our shadow emotions are said to show up to us as entities and beings, and we have an intense coming of face-to-face with our feelings. Literally, they take on a face and a form. And this is described through many traditions, such as the idea of the bardos, right? And I think that there could be something to this. And the reason why I think that is possibly accurate, this idea that after death, our unprocessed emotions and feelings actually show up as beings and entities in the astral when we're in that body is because in life this happens. It happens in a slow down form. When we think about it, are not the people that are part of our life, whether they bring us joy and happiness and light or difficulty and pain and and shadow, are they not always a external world reflection of the energy we carry within ourselves? First of all, yes, because we have the whole spectrum. Within us at all times, but when you really pay attention to the energy that is most present in your field and most needing to be processed and brought back into balance within yourself into the central column, so it can circulate and continue to shift and transform and be the um, the infinitely <laughs> the infinite variety of expressions that it can be, and not just one expression. When we look at when we look at how life brings a certain people in situations, it does that exact thing as what is said to happen in the Bardo's, but just in a slowed down form and sometimes not even that slow. So this is part of breaking through the illusion between life and death and realizing that the whole life experience is your life review moment. You're having it every day. You're having it every every encounter with every being, how conscious you are of that. It has everything to do with, are you honoring or are you rejecting, you know, are you going through the supermarket or, you know, our society has really trained us to like all the people around us that, that we don't already have a connection with. And I'm super guilty of this. Just ignore, just ignore, be quiet until they pass by and go away. You know, say hi to the people you already know, be polite, be proper, but ignore everything else. It doesn't concern you. But in truth, if you stopped and had a connection with any human being that you run into anywhere in the world, you're going to notice that if you pay enough attention and if you dig deep enough with them, that there's something going on with them that is a perfect one-to-one match with something going on with you. Because we all have more similarity than we have difference. And we are all spirit in this physical matter of our bodies. Every moment... (laughs) Is a sim- Crazy Fox nails it. Every moment is a simultaneous experience of life and death on a spectrum of infinity. Boom. That sounds great. I'm with you. I really think this is the, the case. And the more uh, spiritually evolved we, our awareness becomes, as in the sense of the more we notice and pay attention to what's really present in every moment, because it's always present, the more we're going to notice that this idea of like the, the Bardo's extends into life before the physical body dies. It's always happening, so uh, you know this process is about helping us take helping us recognize and take responsibility for the energy we 're carrying um, but the <laughs> important thing about this idea of what happens after death with the Bardo State and how the images come and they're more vivid and intense, and the life review is like instantaneous, and you really feel every feeling you made anyone else feel. I think that this is because we get a purging of the shadow or of the the heavy and the corrupt and corrosive parts of the emotions we're we're carrying. I do not believe, and this is also reflected in Jean Key's book, so I really appreciate this about it. I do not believe that we carry our karma with us from one lifetime to the next. Don't buy that. I don't buy that. If you buy that, that's cool. I do think that we have a collective karma of the entire cosmos and all of humanity. I do think that is the case. Um, Debbie, entities are a complicated question, but yeah, there's life forms that are not in physical incarnate bodies, no doubt. Anyway, uh, I don't think that we carry karma from one lifetime to the next. And the reason why I think that idea is propagated the the belief that people are given from certain religions that our current life situation reflects our past life behavior and karma is propagate. This karma is propagated from lifetime to lifetime and our station in life and the suffering that we may experience is because we were bad in a previous life. It's just like the uh, interpretation of original sin as telling, that's telling you that we're all sinners and we're all evil. And it's all because Adam bit some apple I believe that that is a story that is propagated by manipulators who want their slaves to believe they deserve their situation. So that's what I think. I think that we get the slate wiped clean between lifetimes. I do believe that. And I do believe that in every moment, our slate can be clean because all the karma is. Is the outer world reflecting the energy that you have not processed and made clear to yourself? What does it mean to make something clear? It means you become fully aware of it. Oh, thanks for making that clear for me. We need to get clear. We need to get through what it is that filters what's present within our feelings, our fieldlings, and the external world, because otherwise we'll just keep in the same loop. And this is what the spiritual journey is really all about. I think that because all life is one life, all karma must be shared. I think the whole (laughs) back to the idea of a redemption story, the hero's journey is a redemption story. So the universe must be a redemption story. And if it wasn't, I mean, if we didn't get our karma wiped clean after a lifetime, how is there redemption then? Where's the redemption, even for the the most naughty of souls, right? I think that it would be a shit story if you got to the end and it was like, oh, well, to be continued. (laughs) Uh, There's a lot there. I mean, we're getting into the weeds a little bit, but I do think that it's very possible in my opinion, that souls choose a high-suffering life not because they were so naughty in a previous life, but because they've developed so much compassion—compassion compassion being empathy and the ability to feel what others feel and feel what you actually feel—because uh, they intend to transmute bigger and badder shadows of humanity to help humanity learn to forgive and love itself. And not all souls achieve this mission. Some come in and have a really hard time. And they get stuck in the shadow and maybe their, their intention, their mission, and they were so good and experienced souls, but they just didn't quite break through. They, they bit off more than they could chew. Why would they deserve to have a shit life the next go around? Just because they didn't do a good enough job the previous life. Right. I think that the high suffering lives are people that, you know, like Debbie just said in the Rockfin chat, there are terrible things that happen to good people. How do you explain that? Well, it's all relative <laughs> when it comes to terrible things happen to good people. we don't really know how good any one person is because even though the fact is true that our that the universal field records all memory and consciousness at all times, everything that's ever happened, unless we learn to tap into that, which we do by paying attention to what we see and feel in the external world and in our inner world, well, then we won't really know if maybe. Mother Teresa was secretly a rapist or something, which some people claim. I don't know. Some people claim. I haven't looked into it. My point is that though, I just want to make that clear that I think that we're dealing with shared human universal karma and that it's really one life at the core and at the root of life. And Shannon says, karma kind of feels like the hell made of fire and brimstone to create fear and shame in life. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's, I think all the manipulative and controller aspects of the world hierarchies of the past and religions come from the same source and the same intention. So <laughs> I, I don't think that we need to condemn ourselves any more than we already have up to this point. I think we need to honor and accept ourselves. And to talk about this shadow of dishonor a little more, it comes in two flavors, the the Repressive and the reactive. I think I'm just going to read from the book two paragraphs, one about each, because it sums it up really nicely. And then this is maybe one of the most important parts of the whole Gene Keys breakdown because about grace, because if you can recognize the way that this particular shadow works for you and how you operate, it will really help you transmute and reach the gift part of this. So the, uh, Repressive nature is called properness. The 22nd shadow, in its repressive phase, gives rise to a deeply false sense of character. These people may appear outwardly balanced, very calm, and proper. They can often be extremely socially adept. Inwardly, however, their emotions are often seething. They can hide deep sexual lusts and often foster deep hatred and resentments. A good archetype of proper. Propriety is the Victorian age in Great Britain. On the surface, the general culture was one of politeness and control, when in fact it concealed an underworld of repressed passion, sexuality, and aggression. All the repressive shadows are rooted in a deep-seated fear. The fear of the 22nd shadow is the fear of losing control. We should remember that no shadow is in itself bad. It matters how we deal with it. If you have a repressive nature, you can use it positively to transform, in, to transform inward negativity rather than letting it stew and stew until it erupts. However, if there's no sense of virtue in these people, this shadow can conceal the most violent and explosive of natures. So are we bottling it up, bottling it up, bottling it up and volcanoing later? That volcano doesn't necessarily mean you erupt and get angry at somebody else it could mean you go crazy and like go uh, on a bender <laughs> and then and drink yourself out to unconsciousness or something like that. It could come in a lot of ways. Um, And I don't think that if you recognize the repressive nature of this shadow in yourself, that that means you need to like go out and shout from the rooftop, every bad thing you've ever done. That was dishonorable. I think that the key to exposing your own denial is to notice your own denial. <laughs> hey, It's as simple as that. As soon as you have awareness of denial, it can no longer be denial. Pretty amazing. So the reactive nature is called inappropriateness. (laughs) The reactive version of the 22nd shadow manifests as inappropriate or antisocial behavior. These people cannot control their emotional reactions. They often lead fairly disreputable but passionate lives, wearing their hearts on their sleeves. Their actions and behavior are usually destructive, initially more towards others than themselves. Even in its shadow, this archetype has such creative power that these people can produce wonderful art or music, but so often their inability to handle their own passions and treat others with respect leaves their private lives in tatters. Above all, these people have an inability to listen, either to others or to themselves. Thus, when they're, even when their intentions are good, they are doomed to be mistimed and misunderstood. Now, I, I don't like how he puts the, thus they're, they're doomed, but you know, if you are caught up in the, the shadow of this gene key, it, and I, I don't, I don't personally, um, experience the reactive nature of this one that much, but you can think about it. Anyone can probably think of somebody that's extremely inappropriate way too often. And that has, a I guess, you know, a lot to do with this 22nd gene key. So really important really important key stuff right there to recognize how it it manifests in you because we're going to probably all have expressed or definitely going to express <laughs> either being inappropriate or being uh proper to conceal how we really feel and i'm sure that we're both we're all guilty of both in some parts of our life no doubt um but now let's get into the gift the gift of graciousness this is what we get to experience whenever we have Turned it around whenever we have gotten clear about what we were in denial about, whenever we are allowing ourselves to go through and feel what it is that is what we would call negative or bad. When in fact, all that is, is the fertile soil for your own growth. Um, The gift of graciousness means it expresses in a sense that whatever you do, you consider other people's feelings, how what you're going to do is affecting other people. And this is how you avoid being inappropriate, <laughs> for example. And uh, the key to this, and I've realized this so many times in my life, and then I kind of make myself forget and pretend like I don't know it. But you realize that everything you do or say is seen and heard and recorded by spirit. You don't get away with anything. This is very helpful to know, because especially if you have that repressive pattern of properness, And Kaylee, no, this is not the gene key for where the sun is. This is the gene key for the coins I threw today. This is just what it is. I'm not following like what they do with that whole system in terms of how it's progressing right now. This is where I'm at. (laughs) So if you're here, then we're good. Uh, We're all there. So, yeah, um, realizing that everything you do or say is seen and heard and recorded by spirit, if you need any convincing of that, ask yourself, am I spirit? Is it possible for me to do, say, anything that I didn't see myself or hear myself do? No, it's not. And when we think about this idea of the Akashic field and how everything is recorded in the universal field, maybe this is why we've always had the mythology of watchers, of literal watchers, angels whatever you want to call it, that are seeing everything we do. I think it's because deep down we know that this is true, that spirit records everything, that in order for the universe to continue on and exist the way that it has and does, everything must be recorded in some way. For every moment there to be a something emerging out of the void of nothingness, for there to be atoms dancing in empty space, then there needs to be some sort of memory of where everything was up until that point and how it got there. It's just as simple as that. And, you know, (laughs) we have a real thing going on right now with, um, the surveillance state, right? This idea of the watchers is coming on strong in a literal technological sense. Maybe there's more to say about that. Um, but really the key for this gift of graciousness is expressing a balance between service to others and self-love. It can't be too far into one direction. Debbie says thoughts are recorded too. I tend to maybe agree with that, but because thoughts have a physicality energetically too. But I, I would say cut yourself some slack for your thoughts. Uh, cut yourself some slack for all of it. Accept your thoughts. But learning the practices of mindfulness is is crucial because – You don't have to get caught up in a thought loop. If it pops up and it's not what you want or it's not in alignment with self-love or service to others, then you don't keep it. You don't hold on to that. Uh, So honoring and respecting self and other, that's key. It's a simple, obvious message, but that's the gift of graciousness, living your fullest feelings at all times, holding nothing back and not suppressing or rejecting anyone else's feelings either and not being inappropriate about that, not crossing other people's boundaries with your expression of those feelings. It may seem like there's a lot more to say about the shadow than there is the gift, but, you know, we talked a lot about the beginning of this idea of grace from the I Ching side that has uh before I got into the gene keys element, and that has everything to do with the gift of graciousness, what we said there. So if you want to record back or rewind back and, Listen to that part again. If you want to know more about the way this gift expresses and how it has everything to do with your creative expression of that which you perceive as beautiful and harmonious in the world, then go back to that, and that would be great. <laughs> now, I'm not going to talk about the city, the city of, like, divine grace, really, because we would be here for a long time, and I'm not entirely sure I understand it, to be honest. And that's okay, because a lot of of, of these city aspects these very divine expressions have to do with your own personal path of initiation and maybe you'll find uh yourself inspired to get the gene keys book or look more deeply into the grace gene key because this one is all about initiations the portals of planetary initiation as it's said in the book going from birth baptism confirmation matrimony annunciation communion ordination sanctification to glorification, opening the seven seals of the book of Revelation. But all these are stages on your initi- initi- initiatory path towards returning your consciousness to that refusal <laughs> of, of separateness, refusing separateness with the divine. As in you refuse to be separate anymore and you refuse, you refuse with the divine if that's the path that you want to be on. I believe that if this information regarding the initiatory path and the steps and gateways of that journey is accurate, then once you're on that journey, you don't need to worry about if you are doing it right or if you're going to get there. I think that what's really more important is to pay attention to these more mundane shadow aspects, always be aware of how to transmute them, and accept the gifts and watch as the cities, the universal powers, Flow through you and around you effortlessly in a woo-way style, that you'll be brought to the gates of your initiations as you are ready, as is the right timing, as your soul dictates. And even if you don't feel ready <laughs> when you get there, you wouldn't have been brought an initiatory experience unless you were ready. So I'm not here today to tell you about your initiatory experiences through the planetary portals, if you will. That may be another day, or maybe another teacher. I'm not, I am not. don't even know which one of those I'm at. So I don't feel like I should teach that. But I do feel really, really comfortable with the dynamic of this shadow and gift.
1: And I just went out of focus. That's funny. Come back. This camera likes to put me out of focus randomly. Uh, oh, okay. Maybe if I back up. Did you guys notice I got a new background? I got some brand new I got a brand new desk. Why won't this thing focus?
0: There we go. Hello. Got a brand new desk and it I can stand. I'm, I've been standing this whole time. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> I can press a button and it goes up and down. Both desks do. I gotta say thank you to my mom. My parents are the nicest ever. They're really cool and supportive of my career choice. And a lot of the gear they have got for me at different birthdays and things. And so in a week, my 33rd birthday, and my mom broke the rules and gave me this gift of this really cool new desk early, because she just wanted to get it out of her house. So thank you, Chance's mom, best mom ever. (laughs) Now I've got um, a question from Shannon, how do you reconcile or accept how the inner symbology from self-knowing maybe doesn't align with the symbology of the outer world. Just curious, maybe at some point. I think maybe, I think maybe we'll talk about that as I get into the next card that is part of this sequence. Uh, so I drew a card. Speaking of 33, 33rd birthday, one week from today, I drew the weasel card, which is the 33rd card out of this animal deck. And the weasel I've talked about before, it's all about stealth. Stealth, what does that mean? Really ties into the idea of dishonor because we can't really hide anything from the universe. And stealth, actually the message of stealth is more about being observant than it is about hiding who you truly are. In a way, like animals, weasel changes its coat with the season and blends in well to whatever season it's in. And that's an element of stealth, but it's also an element of being in alignment with where and what nature is doing at any given moment. So, weasel, and Shannon, I hope to get back to your question because I know I th- freaking thought about that <laughs> before I started. Maybe it's in my notes somewhere, but stealth, the weasel medicine is the power of being able to see the hidden reasons behind things, the hidden reasons for what happens. And the I think deepest layer of the superpower is being so in tune with your own feelings and what's inside you that you're able to tell that there is a real connection. You are able to reconcile or accept the inner world, outer world alignment. Um <laughs> one of the things I mentioned about accepting and inviting, invoking the divine or higher self into your life, well, you can totally After doing that, start to notice signs. If you say a prayer to the Supreme Being, if you ask for help, if you ask for a sign, and then authentically pay attention, you might be driving down the road, you ask a question to Spirit, and the next billboard you see, in context to what you were asking, that billboard becomes like an oracle card. It may have nothing to do with, in the literal external physical world, what. With you or your question, but in context to your inner world, what you just saw might answer your question or your prayer entirely. And this is a way of getting to know yourself because sometimes there is a bit of a block like, what do I really want? How do I really do it? Really, the question of what I really want. And the outer world can be a really helpful key for that if we ask and then pay attention. So, the weasel power is able to like really, really uh, express that ability of paying attention so clearly to the outer world and knowing how you really feel and what you really want and being able to get those messages. Hey, thank you for the tips, Lawrence and um, Kaylee. Kaylee gave a tip too. Thanks for the tips on Rockfin. You guys are the best. <laughs> thank you. I really appreciate that. So um, um, This is Weasel Stealth Medicine. It's about embracing your power as an observer and also making peace with the watchers, with the observers of you, whether they're technological, technocratic, or uh, spiritual, Not, you know, Nephilim, whatever they might be. I, I really think that human beings needed, and many still do, needed the illusion of privacy. And the experience of the disillusion of external privacy is really coming to a head in our time. I do not mean by this that it's okay for other people or for you to spy or pry or cross someone else's boundaries. But I do think that, in truth, privacy from private, the idea of privacy is rooted in a a need that humans have. They need to feel like they have some privacy from source or from spirit. They need this experience of the illusion of separation in order to, um, to grow, to be able to take responsibility for their slice of the karma pie, if you will, if we're looking at karma as a shared thing for all people and places. Um, <laughs> it's a complicated question, right? Because obviously we don't like how... The power differential of those who are spying on everybody all the time and knowing everything or they're peeping toms like Jayla just pointed out how that gives them an un uh, a not good power differential in the world, but if our behavior remains in honor at all times, then those that are watching will also learn from our honorable behavior honorable behavior and they'll have more of an opportunity to choose something different, no matter who they are unless they're AI <laughs> and that's a whole nother question. Um, the weasel stealth medicine is about getting real with your feelings and letting the signs, symbols and messages of the external world, verify and show your feelings back to you, which I kind of already touched on. So do you see how cool it is? How well these tie together this great. 22 and 33 <laughs> weasel and grace. I really appreciate that. Thanks cards <laughs> for picking the perfect one. Um, Weasel also is teaching us not to lie to ourselves or others. You know, there's no getting away with it. We already covered this off in so many places, but I'm just rehashing it because it's there in the weasel card, doubling up the message. This is exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) This is exactly what Oracle divination or whatever is meant to be. It's meant to be a system that you can get multiple corresponding confirmations of something that you're feeling and going through inside and trust me, I am all this dynamic. I'm talking about all this shadow and, and trying to accept the gift. I'm in that. I'm in that with you. I'm no different than you. <laughs> you know, I, I express the repressive aspect of this shadow still every day. Seems like some, some of the day, you know, like I'm still learning this too. I'm right there with you. And just by doing this practice of the Oracle cards, I'm really taking the time to study it and look into what it's telling me and sharing this with you. We're getting exactly what weasel medicine is talking about. Letting the signs and symbols and messages of the external world verify and show your own feelings back to you. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So (laughs) this is a note that was from the book here that I thought was funny. Weasel teaches us not to lie to ourselves or others. There's no getting away with it. You can't sneak in and steal the last slice of pie at 3 a.m. and think it's justified because nobody saw. I had to bring that up because yesterday was pie day. I hope you guys had some pie. I didn't, but I had other good things to eat. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, if I really want to, I could. I've been talking a long time, so I think I'm going to skip it. But if I really wanted to, I was considering going into some anecdotes of myself from when I was in college and some of the ways I expressed this repressive nature of the shadow of dishonor. But, you know, I don't want (laughs) to. I don't want to right now. Maybe another time. Uh, so we start to write the shadow of dishonor using the power of stealth, the, the message that the weasels bringing to us by observing the obvious, especially our own denial. And when we witness our denial, it transmutes into acceptance. If we don't shy away from it, that's the big message here. That's the big message. Now I'm going to, I'm going to do a little more, you know, this is going great. I'd like to see. First of all, when I threw the coins, the uh, grace card was actually changing line to something else. So we'll talk about that. So I think this is really helpful and healthy and gives us something to look at for the rest of the week. Um, but first, I'm going to just draw a card from the tarot and see if we get another confirming message that maybe can shed more light on the context for us as a group right now or for you as an individual Because what I say matters only to the degree that it's what it makes you think about and reflect on in your own life and your own inner world. So what's
1: it going to be? What's it going to be? All right. All right. It is the nine of cups and it is reversed.
0: So (laughs) the nine of cups is a guy that kind of has it all and he seems content with it right? But it's in the reversal. So this is a card that's telling us to look for anything in the external world where our tranquility is interrupted, right? Where something that we wanted didn't happen, where we let ourselves feel, uh, not let ourselves, I mean, I don't want to like put it all on you. It is what it is. We are unhappy because something has happened um, or not happened our faith in something has not come through our resources that we invested did not make it to what we wanted it to make it to, (laughs) or we're not expressing ourselves creatively. This is very much exactly where the shadow of dishonor will come in. Because if, uh, you know, this is a card of emotional blockage basically and pain. (laughs) So to write this, to write this, then we look for ways to bring ourselves into contentment and satisfaction again. How would we do that? Well, it's by sharing the abundance that we still have. There's always gonna be exceptional amounts of, of gravy for you that you've got available. You've always got something that you have enough of that you could share without it making you lack. We all have those type of gifts. And if we can express them creatively and share them with the right people at the right time, in a way that doesn't compromise ourself, doesn't compromise the boundaries we need, doesn't compromise someone else's boundary, then we feel enriched. So this is this card, nine of cups reverse, is exactly about the shadow of dishonor to grace, a hundred percent taking yourself from the shadow of the feeling bereaved by life and feeling let down by life or whatever way, and instead of masking it and blocking those emotions allowing those emotions to flow through, transmuting them creatively by making something good happen anyway, by thinking and being considerate of others and being real about how you really feel and expressing that feeling. This is a big part of where craft crafting things comes in or you know, dancing it out or physically working it out, whatever it is. Having someone that is an ear that you can just express the hard feeling to instead of keeping it in with the shadow of being proper, the right person, hearing you put it out there at the right time, that could be all you need to change it. I mean, that's what the whole psychotherapy was about. That's what was effective about it. So you've got sound allies right now. There are things about your environment that are positive, no matter where it is. You have the creativity of the infinite and the source available to you at all times. You have benevolence and generosity that you can share with others in some way, no matter what, and looking for those and how to express those things. That is how you write. That is how you transmute the shadow and you don't get stuck in dishonor and you act honorably. Beautiful. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you. Nine of cups. I feel that. Uh, So what's cool here is that the changing line was the fifth line, And we got number 37, the family. So grace for the coins I tossed went from 22 to 37. Meaning that um, whenever we accept the gift of this, whenever we accept our gift of graciousness, whenever we become honorable, if you will, whenever we learn how to recognize our denial and transmute it, it's leading us to family. It's leading us to the right kindred spirits, if you will, the community that we most align and vibe with. Because if we're stuck in this dishonor shadow, we're going to experience dishonorable people coming to us and acting dishonorably. It is what it is. So, this is a beautiful changing line, letting us know that the community that that we most want and desire is there and will continue to exist no matter what we do, but to find them or to connect with them more deeply the way that we always wanted to just continue transmuting, continue recognizing the hard feelings. These, this family already exists for you. You already know some of them are all a lot of them (laughs) and they're the people that you can let it out to. And something that you hold within and keep secret is always going to be more powerful and have more sway over you than something you let out. So that's a, that's beautiful. Um, in fact, the, the changing line is the fifth line, which is expression, in my opinion, is all about expression. So makes a lot of sense to me. Uh,
1: now, I'm going to lead us through a little mudra meditation
0: that will help us with this dynamic of feeling how we really feel and taking us from the shadow to the gift. So we're going to return to this mudra that I showed you at the beginning And I'm going to show it again and tell you all how to do it again for anyone that forgot or wasn't here yet. This is the Hridaya Mudra, which is number 21 in this deck. I don't know if the number has any significance, but I had a funny sync with 21 earlier. (laughs) And let me pull this up. I'm going to play some music. This is music by Norb's World or just Norbs, I think on Spotify, I linked it in the description of this show. And I made these graphics and I tweaked them to be green and feel very hearty. I'll bring this back up after, actually, after I've shown the mudra, because you're going to need to see it up close, possibly. I think you could figure it out by me describing it. But the Haridaya mudra, representing tranquility, is a gesture for heart health and heart strengthening. It's pretty easy as far as mudras go. You might want to warm up your hands and fingers again if you haven't. Just kind of rubbing the edges of your hands together and rubbing all your fingers together. That may help with the flexibility here. The Hridaya mudra is formed by curling the index finger in as far as you as far as you can, really. So to the thumb, so that the first knuckle of the index finger is touching the base of the thumb it's fully curled in and then you touch your middle finger and your ring finger to the tip of your thumb and you extend the pinky so it looks like that
1: do that with both hands like that um looks like that from that side yeah i think an important part is that the first knuckles the first knuckle is touching the
0: base of the thumb i think that's a good way to do it so We're going to hold this mudra. If you can only hold it for a minute or two, that's okay. And you need a break. Maybe try to get back into it after you give yourself a little break and warm up to it. If you can hold it for five or so minutes or for the whole meditation, that's great. This is meant to rejuvenate the heart and the pericardium. It releases accumulated stress and emotions, regulates blood pressure and heart rate, reduces anxiety, and opens the anahata chakra which is the heart chakra very much connects to the solar plexus constriction too so while we're doing this meditation if you can hold this mudra uh I think that it would really enhance it and if you can remember this mudra for later use you can use it anytime I would even suggest that maybe another time or two today you hold on to it for five or so minutes maybe while you're taking a walk maybe while you're watching something or maybe while you're meditating, best of all, whatever works. So I'm also going to, yeah, I've got, (laughs) I'm going to start this out with uh, some tones and then we'll get into this meditation music Norb's made and I'll guide us through a little bit of, of working with this heart energy and working with this transmuting this, uh, this shadow and this constriction. Uh, So this is a 639 Hertz tuning fork and the music is tuned to 639 nine, which I personally associate with the heart chakra. Others do too. Um, it works for me <laughs> in in sessions that I do with people. It really does work with the heart well in my experience. So thanks, everybody, for being here with me today and sitting through this long, long ramble about grace. <laughs> I've done other videos about grace, but this is different. Like there's always more to know and learn, which I love. So if you're able right now and you want to get yourself comfortable in a seated position or even laying down and you want to form this pradaya mudra, index finger curled in to the thumb with the first knuckle touching the base of the thumb, middle finger, ring finger touching the tip of the thumb, pinky extended. Get your hands into this mudra while you breathe and meditate with me. That'd be great. So let's just start with some deep grounding breaths. And I'll play this tone. heart. Just try to get into a natural breathing rhythm here.
1: I'm going to start this music. Thank you, Norbs, for making this
0: 639 music. It's beautiful. So while you're breathing, try to relax your solar plexus area. Taking some deep breaths into that region. While you're inhaling, slow and long inhales if you can. Pay attention to where the feeling of the air going into your nostrils is at. And as you exhale, Try to push that feeling down into the heart area like you're pushing it open and widening in it, widening it, opening it, relaxing that constriction. While we're holding this mudra at your sides or on your thighs, palms up or up at your chest. Taking these breaths in, try to feel what it feels like to smile. Smile inwardly to your heart itself. Pay attention to any feeling of restriction or constriction around your heart, around your left side, or anywhere in your body. Try to relax that constriction with each exhale. Ask yourself and ask your higher self to become invoked into your body right now. Ask yourself to notice anything at all that you may have been in denial about how you feel and just accept those feelings. This is the gift you can give yourself. Ask yourself for clarity. Forgive yourself for any difficulties of your life that you may have right now. Release the illusion that this karma is only yours, that you deserved whatever that was hard, hard feeling or bad. Realize that every breath you're transmuting and opening up your heart center, you are doing your duty. For yourself and for everyone at every centimeter that you open up your solar plexus and your heart, every feeling you bring clarity to, you're doing it for everyone. And that we're holding this mudra. Breathing naturally, we're smiling at our heart. And we've asked ourself for clarity and for higher self to indwell within us. Visualize a green and golden glow in this heart center. Watch it cut through and illuminate these shadows or fogs that may have been constricting your heart like tendrils. Allow any pain you feel in your body to dissolve into this tone. Finish playing. You can sit and breathe with this meter for as long as you like, you're out of time. I thank you, and I want you to thank yourself for being present for this message and for every day that you transmute and become more and more honorable. Thank you. Love you all.